Acts chapter 18, verse 1 says, After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. After this, if you could flip to uh, Terry, the, uh, the timeline. It, for those of you who haven't been going with us, we've been going through the book of Acts, and as we go through the book of Acts and, we, and he comes to different churches, what happens is we'll break off and start teaching through those books that he taught to. So we've gone through, wait for it, it's almost there. Hey, look at that, that's nifty. Yeah, good job. All right, so uh, Saul of Tarsus on the left where it's cut off, he was converted. And you can see on the top where all the books, where most people conservatively think that those books were written. We've already taught through James before, um, but we've gone through Galatians, 1st, 2nd Thessalonians, we just finished. And if you look on the bottom, you see Paul's first missionary journey, and he's on his second missionary journey, Acts 15 through 18, and so we're just about to end his second missionary journey. And so that's kind of where we are. So next we'll probably pick up First and Second Corinthians, then we'll hit Romans and Colossians, Ephesians, and all those other books. And so we're just going to keep going through. And as we are, it's amazing how the Holy Spirit just, uh, He speaks where we're at. If you could show the map real quickly. Yes. Uh, this is Paul's crazy trip. If you look on the red line, that's going, and green is coming back. And so he's at the very bottom left, well, in the middle left there. So it says Athens and Corinth. He just left Athens, and he went over to Corinth. You can go back to the text now. And it's a major port city. We'll talk more about this when we get into the book of Corinthians. But there are two major ports on it. It's on an isthmus, and you can see there's just a little section. On the south, there's a port, and on, well, on the southwest and the north northeast, there's a, or sorry, southeast, northwest, dyslexia kicking in. There are ports 40 miles apart there, and it's just, it's a sailor city. There's trade coming in from the Mediterranean and going out on the other side towards uh, the rest of the world, up towards Italy. And you can imagine, I don't know, I grew up in San Diego in a sailor city. There's some really interesting, savory places, uh, you know, and for those of you who are in the military, you, you, you know that. But Corinth was known for two things. It was very wealthy because of the trade that was coming in and out. And secondly, it was known for its licentiousness. It's just unchained immorality. And one of the things that was really interesting reading up about this is that uh, the thousand uh, sacred prostitutes would come down from a hill, from a temple, would come down every night into the city and just entice people. And it was so bad that in that city, the immorality was so bad that they came up with a name, and I've talked this about before, but the name Corinth actually be, turned into Corinthiazamaya. And basically that word means, it would replace a word like to be sexually immoral or to be a drunkard, to be totally out of your mind. And so basically this was Las Vegas on steroids, and Paul jumps into the city and starts ministering. God, by the Holy Spirit, brought him in the middle of this dark city to bring the light of Jesus Christ. Praise God. How many of you were a Corinth? And the light of Jesus Christ just came into your life. And wow, what grace. And so God has brought Paul to Corinth. And there he met, verse 2, a man named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had been recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. 
because Claudius, who had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome, Claudius, the emperor of Rome, had ordered all the Jews to leave. The Jews have always gotten the short end of the stick throughout history. It is amazing. We read about uh, these, these things by historians. Uh, Suetonius, a Roman historian, Cassius Dio, uh, record these, uh, these expulsions of the Jews during this time, and it, it's recorded in 49 AD. And so these are historical facts, not only from the Bible, but also from outside the Bible. And so imagine uh, being a Jew in a foreign place and having people politically not like you and kicking you out for whatever reason. Some speculate that's because people were coming to Christ, or some people believe that whatever the reason was, it's the same as today. There's an agenda. And so these two precious people, Priscilla and Aquila, Aquila and Priscilla, Jews ex- kicked out of Rome, came, were in Corinth, and they become partners with Paul in the gospel. I love that. And, and Paul mentions them in Romans 16, Three, he says, "Hey, greet Priscilla and and, and Aquila, Aquila and Priscilla." Uh, and if, if you know, evidently they went back to Rome. He's writing a letter to the Romans, and he's saying, "Hey, greet them." So they went back. Uh, it says in other places that Paul that that they risked their lives for Paul and for the Gentile believers. These people were all in. Amazing people. 1 Corinthians 16.9 says, Greet them and the church that meets in their house. They started a home church. They had a home Bible study in their house. I mean, just salt of the earth, God-loving people, filled with the Spirit. 2 Timothy 4.19 says, Greet them. Well, Timothy was in Ephesus. And so these people were moving around wherever the Lord had called them, and they would open their homes, and people would have church where they were, and they would risk their lives and provide for people. I mean, what amazing people. And we learn a little bit more about them here. Paul went to see them in verse 3, and because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. They were tent makers. That was their trade. Paul was a tent maker. You know, it's, if you plan on being a musician or a pastor, it's a good idea to, do, to have another trade. You know, because <laughs> sometimes, you know, people kick you out of cities and things fall apart, <clears throat> you know. But Paul, you know, as, as a rabbi, you were taught, you better have another trade. And so one of the trades his parents probably taught him was t- to make tents. And you read about this in Second Thessalonians chapter, was it 3? We just read about it. Um, let's, I think I, yeah, Second Thessalonians chapter 3. Paul's talking about his work. <coughs> verse 7, he says, for you yourselves receive, uh, I'm sorry, for yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order that, uh, in order to offer yourselves as a mo- ourselves as a model for you to imitate. What were they doing? What were they laboring and toiling doing? They were making tents. What an awesome thing. Paul, here's this mighty apostle. What's he doing? He's, he's busting out mobile homes. It's just whatever, you know. And it says in verse 4, Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue trying to persuade the Jews and the Greeks. 
This was Paul's custom. The very first thing he'd do when he'd go into a city is he'd go seek out a synagogue and preach to the, group, the Jews. In, first, in uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 16, it says, For I am not ashamed of, gospel, for the, of the gospel, for it is the power unto salvation, first to the Jews, then to the Gentiles. That's the way God arranged it, that the gospel went to the Jews first, and then later on the Gentiles would be grafted in. And so Paul, whenever he had an opportunity and there was a synagogue or a group of Jews, he would go and he'd preach the gospel. Notice how he, he talked to them. He reasoned with them. How did he reason with them? From the scriptures. They had a, a scriptural background. Gentiles, he reasoned with them from nature, from creation. It would seem that was his mode of operation because they worshipped you know, they worship materialism. And so Paul is sitting there and he's reasoning. How would you reason with someone who is religious? Who has a Jewish background, who has the same Old Testament? Think about back a couple weeks ago when we were talking about Daniel. And the prophecy in Daniel chapter 10. When he says that in this amount of days, when, when the actual order for the city of Jerusalem and its walls and its temple, when that order goes out, it'll be this long, this many days, 69 weeks, 483 years before the Messiah is cut off. And they would say, let's do some math. When was that? And there it was. And he was cut off. He would do the road to Emmaus, this Jesus and his disciples. He would share from the law and from the prophets, Jesus. Even looking at people like Joseph. Remember the pictures and the imagery of Joseph, the type of Christ. Isaiah 53, speaking of the suffering of Jesus Christ. And he would reason with them over and over and over, trying to persuade them and pull them and wake up. This is your Messiah. This is your Messiah. And this was what Paul's heart was there. He reasoned with them in the synagogues, trying to persuade the Jews and also the Greeks. They were, remember, there were Greeks who converted over Judaism. And so, verse 5, it says, When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, that's from Thessalonica and Athens, that whole area, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. How many of you have the New King James Version? Does it say the same thing? When Paul, it says that Paul, what did he do? Was he preaching? What does it say, Byron? What does it say? What does it say before that? Constrained by the Spirit and testified to the Jews. And yet, we hear, read here in the Nearly Inspired Version, it says that he was... I'm sorry, the NIV. I'm just joking around, guys. There are many things it has. as awesome. In. But he says here that in verse 4, it says, Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue. And then verse 5, Silas and Timothy came, and Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching. So was he constrained in his spirit to testify, or did he devote himself... To, to the word. That word preaching is the word logos, which is the word what? For in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Preaching, that word preaching is the word logos. It's, it's that word. So what does that imply? That the word has to be 
expressed. Jesus is not a silent idea. He expresses the very heart of God by the nature Jesus is preached. He is the word. He is an expression. He is the heart of the Father being brought towards the people. And I find it funny that there's somewhere in the translations, the two different major texts, that there's someone got it wrong. What do you know? And notice how they got it wrong. One person put word, one, one, one person put spirit. <laughs> so is it the spirit that compelled him or was it the word that compelled him? A word is spirit. Amen, wife. <clears throat> just this once, we'll let you speak out in church. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Second Timothy. We'll get there. I'll have a guest speaker. <laughs> but don't you love that? How the Lord even works through these things. The Holy Spirit compelled Paul to preach. He was driven to do what God had called him to do. The word of God constrained him. Both these ideas, whatever translation you want to have, the Lord was at work and he was responding to God's word, which is spirit. He's responding to the Holy Spirit in his life. And notice what freed him to do that. When Timothy and Silas came, he was free to do it which tells him that he was teaching. He was teaching the church, those new believers up until this point. And he wasn't able to preach. Notice the difference? He wasn't able to logos. He wasn't able to go out there and share the gospel with people because he was teaching. And how beautiful the body of Christ is how we have this diversity within our body to where some of you are teachers, some of you are preachers, some of you come alongside and help. So the word of God goes forward. The idea is, the, and the whole thrust of Acts is the word of God going th- forward. Now, does that mean that I'm exempt from sharing the, the Lord with people? No. I'm, just like I'm not exempt from loving people or being merciful or showing hospitality and all those types of things, Right? But there are certain callings and giftings within the body, and Paul is now released to go preach to the Jews and the Gentiles. He's preaching the word, the logos, Jesus Christ. The logos can't be hidden. It is meant to be expressed. And he's out there doing what he's called to do, and he's testifying. That word is, is, is kind of a, it's a trial type of word. It's, he's, he's calling them to the carpet and saying, this is the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. In verse 6, it says, But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I'm going to go to the Gentiles. How many of you fear being abused? How many of you fear, like I do, uh, being mistreated or rejected? And especially for Jesus. You know, we know the hard verses. You know, if you're ashamed of me on this earth, you know, I'll be ashamed of you, but if you testify of me, you know, and I'm paraphrasing, you know. We, we know the verses, but Paul, we're going to find out, he had some real fear going on. He did not want to get beat up. He did not want to be rejected. He prayed constantly and asked the church to empower, be empowered with boldness. Would you do that? How many of you need that this week? 
How many of you feel deflated? How many of you feel totally unable to do it, overwhelmed? We need the power of the Holy Spirit focusing on the cross and, and who he is. Jesus is empowering Paul here to go preach. But he did receive opposition. Do you know when you share Jesus with people, when you share the gospel, when you start shining light in dark places, even with religious people, most of the world is religious, is it not? Who needs to be saved? A lot of religious people. Some might be in this room. Going to church doesn't make us a Christian. Jesus Christ and his blood alone. Amen? Anyways, he received opposition, opposition and Paul, he was abused. They became, became violent with him. And so he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, hey, your blood be on your own heads. Remember that in Matthew chapter 10, verses 14 through 15. Uh, Jesus said, if anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake off the dust off your feet. And truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. What words are those? I mean, that's a Bible study and a half. And so Paul is doing that. He's shaking it off. And that's what we got to do when people reject us. They're not rejecting us. They're rejecting the Lord. We shake it off. (laughs) And your blood be upon your own heads. We read that at Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 18. When I say to a wicked person, you will surely die, and you do not warn them or speak to out. Uh, speak out to dissuade them from their evil ways in order to save their life, that wicked person will die for their sin and I will hold you accountable for their blood. That's a, that's a crazy verse for a prophet. How would you like to have that calling? But you can see Paul, he is taking his ministry seriously. He's taking his calling seriously, that he is responsible for God to share the gospel with these people. That is what he's called to. And when they reject it, he has this mindset, then your blood be on your own hands. I've done what I've come to do. You have hardened your heart. And there is a time when people reject Christ and they become abusive or whatever it might is, where we back away and say, you know what? It's in the Lord's hands. We need to have discernment to know when that is. Amen? It's from now on, I'm going to go to the Gentiles. Oh, man, that must have made them very upset. And so, verse 7, Paul left the synagogue and went next door. (laughs) Oh, great. He didn't go like, he tried to hide it. He went next door. He's like, (laughs) you know, I mean, what a great move. And he went next door to the house of Titus Justice. Titus Justice. He says he's a worshiper of God. Does that name Titus ring a bell? People think this is the same Titus of who is a true son in the faith, Titus chapter 1, verse something or other, Paul's talking to you, who was sent to Crete to uh, shepherd that church there, who also later abandoned Paul and went to Dalmatia. But this is that Titus they're speaking of, a worshiper of God. And Crispus, what a great name. If you want to name your kids, there's one, Crispus the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord. So evidently, they had Bible studies at whose house? They were at Titus's house, and someone from the synagogue next door started coming over, and notice Crispus. He's, he, in his, whole, his entire household, believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. Believed and were baptized. 
And now verse 9. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be what? Do not be afraid. Which, which tells us Paul was what? Now, any of you struggle with sharing the Lord and following what he's calling you to do, I want you to pray over these next few verses, circle them, underline them, star them, whatever you need to do. Write them on a card, stick it on your mirror. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. Why? Why would Paul continue speaking and not be silent when people are abusing him and being hostile? For I am with you, and no one's going to attack you and harm you because I have many people in this city. Reminds me of Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19 when he's on the mountain. He, and he hears the still small voice, and what does the still small voice say? Why are you here? I want you to go back. Remember, he had the whole marathon run and the birds and the, you know, the fun stuff. Ham sandwiches dropped from heaven. No, it wouldn't have been ham, probably turkey, right? He's eating, he's fed, right? And then he comes back. He's fearing Jezebel. The guy just slaughtered 400 prophets or how many prophets of Baal. He killed them all and then he left out of fear. God gave him a great victory. Now, he doesn't want to go back. And God says, I have... Don't worry, I've got you. Your life is in my hands. Your life is in my hands. I've got 7,000 people in that city who have not bent their knee to Baal. We have no idea of what God sees most of the time. We are fearful of a circumstance and we're looking at through mat vision, through earthly vision when God is saying, I just want you to step out. I am strong. I see the big picture. You just trust and obey. I've got you. And that's how the gospel goes forward. And by the way, sometimes the Lord doesn't protect. And sometimes people die and your kids get cut in half and things happen. And I'm not saying that lightly, but it's happening now. The kind of persecution we face is, is persecution light, I think, in many respects. It's not to say that there isn't real warfare going on, but the darkness will keep being dark unless the light starts to shine and continues to shine in dark places. Don't be afraid of what will happen at your work. Don't be afraid of what will happen, you know, politically. Don't be afraid of what will happen with family and friends. Spend time with Jesus let him fill you with the Spirit, and when the Spirit says speak, you speak. Make sure the Spirit's saying speak. And when you speak, make sure it's really close to this, if not right on. Amen? Give him the word, give him the sword, and let him fall on it. They have to deal with it. Amen? And so Paul is afraid. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Don't be silent, for I'm with you. No one's going to attack you and harm you because I have many people in the city. And so Paul, what did he do? He stayed in Corinth for a year and a half. And what did he begin to do? Teach. He was a teacher. And so that preaching and that teaching, that preaching to the lost, teaching the church. And you've got people like Barnabases and other people who are encouragers who come in and encourage and coach, right? And you see the way the Lord works. People need to be preached to, and I know that has 
uh, uh, you know, if people don't preach at, share the word with them, share the truth of Jesus, share the love of Christ, call them to repentance. That's preaching. When they're saved, now they need to be taught and encouraged and discipled, amen? And then they, you, me, now we need to go find people to preach to and to teach to or to encourage or to love upon, amen? And this continues. And we get stagnant if we aren't walking in that if we aren't being taught, and if we're not giving out in some way. And so, he went there teaching the word of God. Now, verse 12, while Galileo, Galileo was proconsul of Acacia, that's that whole region there, he's just a, in charge of the whole region, this guy, Galileo. Uh, the Jews of Corinth made a united t- attack on Paul and brought him to the place of judgment, the Bema seat. And this man... They, they charged, is persuading people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. We read this in 1 Corinthians. He's telling them they don't have, they don't have to eat certain foods, and they can't eat certain foods, and they're free from you know, observing the Sabbath or not observing the Sabbath, and these people are just flipping out. And so the Jews, they, like they did with Jesus, they brought him in front of the Roman government. And the, notice the Roman government. Typical bureaucracy. Just as Paul was about to speak, Galileo said to them, If you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. Go to the next door. <laughs> Wait in that line. No, but since it involves questions about words and names and your own law, settle the matter yourselves, and I will not be a judge of such things. And so he says, You deal with it. That's your religious stuff. Go ahead and handle it the way you want. And so he drove them off. Get out of here. And then the crowds were tur- uh, in the crowd there turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue leader, and beat him in front of all the proconsul. And, Gal- and Galileo showed no concern, whatever. Sosthenes uh, might, might not have been the, the chief of the of the church there. He might have been just one of the people who took care of things. But anyways, they started to take it out on this guy. And if you guys remember, I think it is. Romans, maybe it is. I can't remember. Where it says, greet our brother Sosthenes. It might have been, or no, First Corinthians chapter 1. He says, hey, greetings from me, Paul, and Sosthenes. So he decided to go on a road show with Paul, and he's been going on talking and stuff. It's amazing. People are coming to the Lord. They're leaving where they were, and they're going wherever the Lord has led them. Isn't that amazing? How many of you are willing to give up and go for the gospel? What is the promise of Christ? Those who give up what will have what? In this life and in the life to come. But we are to be sojourners. We are to be Abrahams in this life. You know what I mean? That doesn't mean we're all called to get up and go, but is there that heart and that willingness to say, I will give because you are more worthy than my house, than my property, than my job, than my status, than anything. Your calling, your gospel, your kingdom is, it's paramount. It's, it's, it's everything to me. You are. And if your spirit says go, and if I can be a help in some way, I'm going to go. What happens if our church in five years decides to plant churches all around the place? We can go hire people out like Matt. You're it. You're the plan. 
You are the missionaries. You are the disciples. You are the people. Maybe we'll start a church in Tushi where who knows? What is God doing? And do we have a here am I, send me attitude or Lord, here am I, send him? (laughs) And you find quite often is when you say I'm here, I'm willing, the Lord goes, all right, I've got you. Now here's your role in it. And it might be to pray for or to encourage or to help financially or whatever it might be. It's beautiful how the body of Christ works, but the Lord's looking for that surrender, that heart that says, this is, this is not my home. You know, although I'm here, I'm just renting, so to speak. This is, this is your, your call, whatever you want, Lord. And so Sosthenes, he was, uh, per- received persecution, he, and he left with Paul. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And Paul stayed, verse 18, on Corinth for some time, and then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria. So he's heading back and accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. So Priscilla and Aquila go with him. And there's going to be a reason uh, for that. We, we hear so much about Priscilla and Aquila here is because we're going to run into a neat guy named Apollos next week. But before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at uh, Chinkria um, because of a vow he had taken. He lost a bet. No, I'm just kidding. He didn't lose a bet. <laughs> He was thinking the Seahawks were going to win, and it just didn't happen. No. This is the vow of the Nazarite. Uh, no, no doubt, this is the vow of the Nazarite. Numbers chapter 6, somewhere around there. We know a famous person who had a, the vow of a Nazarite. The idea was to let your hair grow and to never cut it, or to let it grow for a season. And the, the word there for the vow of the Nazarite is, is consecration. I'm consecrating myself to you. I'm and that idea, a Jew would know it's, it's similar to uh, holy, it's similar to sanctification, it's your set apart. And you can imagine Paul, my guess, and this is me speculating, so take it as speculation as he walks into Corinth, and he walks into the sailor town and says, I'm vowing in my heart that I am set apart for you for this season and this purpose. This is darkness, and, it, and there might be a pool on me here. And so, I'm yours, Lord. And I want everybody to know it. And so he started wearing statement t-shirts. I'm a Christian. You know, or, you know what I'm just saying? And, and his hair started to grow. And you can imagine Paul, and they said he might have been a little bit bald. So maybe he had one of those weird things with, you know. <laughs> he had long hair. And by the time, and so he comes to this place and he cuts off his hair. And what you have to do is you have to take that hair and you go to Jerusalem and you offer it to the Lord as a burnt offering. What's Paul doing following all these Old Testament things? What the great, what was that? Yeah, he's he's relapsing. He's like, yeah, and he's free. And he's free to do it or not. He's free to enjoy the Sabbath or to not. He's free to go to the festival or not. And his heart is just wanting to please the Lord. It's worship. It's not law. And so he lets his hair go, and everybody is looking at him and saying, that guy's got the vow of the Nazarite. And the Jews, what a testimony as his life is pointing to Christ. Wow, look at this guy. He's consecrated in this evil city. Who is this guy? He's different. And that says something about how we look. It says something about how we dress, how we act. You know, I know I've got some work to do. You know, when I first came here, flip-flops were standard, you know, and 
It's just very casual, Southern California, you know? It's different. But you got, you know, we have to say things, yes, but we have to live them out and let our actions and what we do with our lives express who we are in our inner being. And Paul had that, that hair going long there, and he was not tempted. Uh, he didn't allow a Delilah to come cut it off. He stayed true. And he, on his way home, he cut it off as he's getting ready to go to Jerusalem. And so, uh, before he sailed, he had his hair cut off uh, because of the whole vow, uh, because of the vow he had taken. Verse 19, and they arrived at Ephesus, where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. And no doubt, Timothy was there too. And he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. Notice he's reasoning with the Jews again. When they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. What in the world? Here he is spending all this time with the Jews, the first time to try to get them to come to Christ. And now these people want to actually engage, and he says, see you later. What's going on there? Anybody? What? Yeah. He's being obedient by the Spirit. He doesn't have to do the same thing every time. Yes, he's going and preaching to them, but how long he stays and how he interacts and all that stuff, he's praying about things. And the Lord's leading him in his daily life. How long he's going to interact with some people. Some people are going to be hungry, but guess what? It might not be your job to stick around and to bring them to maturity. It might be someone else. And notice what happens here. But as he left, he promised, I will come back if it is God's will. And so Priscilla and Aquila are there. Timothy's there. And a church is born. Pretty interesting. We'll read about that a little bit later. He says, I'll come back if it's God's will. And he does on his third missionary journey. And then he set sail uh, from Ephesus. And when he landed in Caesarea, this is getting back down on the Mediterranean coast there in Israel, he went up to Jerusalem and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. And that's the end of the second missionary journey. Antioch is that hub. I want to just spend a second and what do you see, what is Paul's life about? What is he doing? What's the thrust of this, this whole gospel? And I want to just dialogue with you for a second. What's going on? How does this impact you? What's so important? Why are we even reading this? Reading about a Jewish guy running around cutting his hair off and talking to people and getting beat by Jews. The, the absurdity parts, actually, I'm pointing out. How does it relate? What's going on? Why would God record this? Terry. Yeah. Amen. Power of Christ. Establishing. Yes, go ahead. Life is going to be tough, she says. And when God calls you to do something, you do it and you rely on His power. Okay.
you're getting a glimpse of how God is working in ordinary people. Betty. The Jews were uh, Saul's people. Yeah. No doubt. How many of you want to go hang out and minister to the Hispanic uh, in, in town? How comfortable is that? Pretty interesting, isn't it? Yeah, Gentile Jew, there's maybe a separation just by culture, not anything else, but just... Do you think God might want you to go across the street? talk to someone, start up a conversation, maybe. Eat some strange food. Get heartburn. Smile. He prayed and was led by the Spirit every day. So, I mean, this is an example to us of what our life should look like. Yeah. Absolutely. He had a thriving relationship with Jesus. I was thinking, you know, that brings up, how did he know where to go and when to go? What was he working with in his life? He had a calling, did he not? He knew who his Jesus was and he knew what Jesus told him to do. Amen? And that's what guided him. And how the details worked out, isn't that what we're all experiencing? But how many of us know the big picture? Who are we? Where are we going? Why am I here? That's important stuff. What does it mean to be a, a follower of Jesus Christ? What has he called us to? It's scary stuff because it challenges the way we do life. Does it not? So share some more thoughts. We've got just a couple more minutes. I just want to hear from you. You are the body of Christ. You have gifts, amen? Amen. Gary. I'm just surprised how I guess I had a different impression of Paul that he was always bold and courageous and fearless and I'm surprised to see that he he had problems with fear. And I can see why seeing the things he suffered that I don't want to get beat up again. Amen. It's encouraging actually. How would you like to walk into a new city anticipating which new and wonderful way you'd be hurt? So he wanted to go places, and it says that the Spirit said no. And then another place he said he wanted to go the other direction, and Jesus said no. And then he would go places where God told him to go, and he'd get the snot beat out of him. <laughs> and that was his cue to move on. How is God working in all that? How is God glorified? Now, Take these things that we're talking about and let's talk about our lives for a second. You think God's at work in your life? 
Are you sure? So does God work with unicorns and rainbows? Mostly? Does God move people always by, you know, just a word of knowledge or some prompting of the Spirit? That happens, and I love that. Yeah, our conscience plays a big part, you bet. Yeah, and so is it going to be a perfect path? Is it going to be a a sinless path? Is it going to be, you know, perfection? Or is it going to be a little bit messy? Yeah. A little bit rocky, you bet. Fred. I think it's interesting that Paul doesn't go around seeking out low-hanging fruit. He goes right to the synagogue where he's going to get the most resistance. <laughs> and then he leaves the synagogue and he goes to the Greeks where they're highly educated. And he has success, you know, in both places. It doesn't seem obvious right away from the synagogue, but he's not going around seeing, well, where's my best angle of attack here? He's just following God. It puts on, you know, to me that puts the whole, when he's talking about put on the full armor of God, verse, I, I just wonder what he's thinking when he's writing that. Like, okay, here I go. <laughs> Going into the hornet's nest. Wow. What do you think that says about maybe our lives? How should, what did Jesus do? Where did he go? What do you think that says about our church? These are questions how we're, what we're praying about and what we're thinking about. We're looking at Scripture and seeing, yes, a model, but I want to get the, I want us to get this. What's the Spirit doing? How is He working as we have frustrations within our fellowship, as we have obstacles or opportunities or hardships or blessings? How do we stay in tune? with the Holy Spirit? How do we step out in faith? What's the overarching call that we say, this is who we are, this is why we're here, and this is where we're going? Lord Jesus. And we start going. And whatever that looks like, in whatever arena we go in, these are the things that we're praying about and seeking and are going to run into and enjoy in just a short time. God is up to some cool things. We love you guys, and we're praying for you. And I want you to know that just like you, that, that I am going through this too. You know, I'm moving. Well, what does that mean? I'm, you know, dislodged every few years and moving around. It's like, ah, you know, and the health stuff. And you've got, you know, conflict resolution within, you know, you're herding sheep, of which I am a big, messed up sheep. And I'm just saying that 
as these things are happening, I'm going, okay, Lord, where's your hand in this? What are you doing? Where are you going? What are you teaching me? How do you get glorified through this? How can I bring you glory? How am I not bringing you glory? What needs to change? What opportunities through even suffering have you brought about that I would never have if I had not gone through this? And instead of being, oh man, what a horrible situation. I just got beat up again. And going, all right, what a great new opportunity we have to go share the Lord somewhere else or to leave a few solid people behind or to, you know what I'm saying? May this Holy Spirit lead you this week and encourage you as you continue your next missionary journey this week. Where's God going to lead you? How is he going to lead you? You kind of have an, have an idea of where you want to go and where you don't want to go. But be open. Be open to his leading. Be in his word. Be in prayer. Grow your hair out. You know what I'm saying? Consecrate yourselves this week to the Lord and watch him do great and mighty things through all of these circumstances. Amen? Lord, we lift up this week to you. We praise you. We thank you for your word that is living and breathing. And Lord, we're reading about your servant Paul. And he was just a man, and yet he was incredibly used by you. And Lord, we know that our value is in your hands. It's in your hands. And so, Father, will you make us whatever you want? You mold us wherever you want and send us wherever you want. Let us speak or be silent according to your will. But Lord, we need to hear the words of Jesus that you are with us and to continue to be that light wherever we are. So Jesus, will you um, be with your people today? Father, will you pour out your Holy Spirit just in fullness upon them and consecrate us for the, for the work that you have ahead in this awesome city you've given us to be in. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.